Hi everyone, welcome to Febrile, a culture podcast about all things infectious disease. We use console questions to dive into ID clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I'm Sarah Dong, your host. I am bringing you some live podcast episodes recorded this month in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. The past two episodes, number 86 and 87, as well as this one, which is the last in the series, were all recorded at the World AMR Awareness Week Forum, held and organized by the Saudi Pediatric Infectious Disease Society with Febrile and the King Abdulaziz Public Library. So please check out episode 86 on DTR pseudomonas and carbapenemases, episode 87 on the management of crab, And then I hope you enjoy this last one, episode 88 on persistent MSSA bacteremia. Let's listen in. Okay, welcome back with our third and final episode for today. Thank you to our audience for hanging in there. I want to start by letting the listeners know a little bit about you. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a quick introduction. Uh, okay, thank you so much, Dr. Sara. Thank you, everyone, for coming here. Uh, my name is Rabab Belgaithi. I'm a pediatric ID consultant, and I did my training in both adult and pediatric ID in University of British Columbia, and I also did extra training, uh, acquired a pediatric infectious disease diploma. And um, currently, I'm working as a consultant in a tertiary care center in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and um, my main specialty is actually pediatric ID. I'm very interested in education, and I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sarah, and thank you, organizers. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Dr. Mishari Abdelatif. I'm a medical affairs manager uh, from BD. Um, I'm a consultant microbiologist, and I hold a PhD from uh, University of Ottawa. Great. All right. And similar to the last three episodes, we like to ask as everyone's favorite culture podcast, if you'd be willing to share a little piece of culture, something that you have had fun with or enjoyed recently. Um, so for me, I think um, uh, I really enjoy baking and sometimes cooking when I have time. Uh, it's really relaxes me. And uh, I also like um, exercise, anything that, you know, pumps my heart rate up. It really also relaxes me. And um, I used to crochet a lot, but I stopped recently. <laughs> I want to I wanna go back to that. And obviously spending time with family and friends as well. Great. Uh, from my side, um, I like sports. Uh, I'm a sport guy. Uh, I play soccer more. Uh, it's one of my things. Uh, also volleyball sometimes from side to side. Uh, of course, traveling with the family, that's something it's unique for me. Uh, you know, getting isolated, camping as well. You know, as much as you isolate yourself with the family, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a nice thing to, to spend, of course. Great. All right. Well, today's uh, last case has a little bit more background than our last couple. So I'll tell everyone about this. The consult question comes from the neonatal intensive care unit this time, where they have a baby with methicillin susceptible staph aureus or MSSA bloodstream infection. And this MSSA infection has just persisted. So they're calling for help. We meet a 30-week gestational baby girl who was born to a 27-year-old G2, now P2 mom, via spontaneous vaginal delivery with premature rupture of membrane. So she was ruptured for about four days prior to delivery. Mom received latency antibiotics and corticosteroids. She also had negative serologies, including group B strep. Uh, the baby required positive pressure ventilation for resuscitation um, and had heart uh, respiratory failure managed with surfactant and ultimately high-frequency oscillatory ventilation. 
The baby has had an umbilical venous catheter for parenteral nutrition while working on advancing enteral feeds. This was replaced with a pick line or peripherally inserted central catheter in the right arm around about day seven or eight of life. On day of life 10, the baby was noted to have increased gastric residuals, tachycardia, and just was more irritable. So his nurse had at that point noticed that there were some pustules and redness near the PICC line insertion site. So a sepsis evaluation was completed, which noted a white blood cell count of 35,000, a CRP of 20 milligrams per deciliter, and a low platelet count. The lumbar puncture is negative. The echocardiogram was not concerning for endocarditis. And the NICU team so far has used vancomycin, piperacillin, tazobactam, and fluconazole for empiric therapy. The blood, urine, and skin pustule wound culture later returned positive for MSSA. So the PICC line has been removed and is replaced by a peripheral IV. The baby has been changed to oxycillin at 50 milligrams per kilogram IVQ8. And blood cultures just continue to remain positive. So now we've had two days of antibiotics and the baby actually is having worsening hypotension as well. So what would be your next step and thoughts on the case so far? Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Sara. So this, uh, this scenario is actually not uncommon, and we do see MSSA causing sepsis in such small babies. It is actually one of the most common causes of sepsis in the neonates, and especially in the low birth weight uh, babies. So in this scenario, we, we see that the baby is having uh, sepsis uh, because he's having more than one uh, system involvement, and he's already been started on uh, anti-staph penicillin, uh, which is the approach appropriate approach, um, which was which, which we usually recommend to do as soon as possible. The baby at first was on vancomycin, and the right thing to do was to actually narrow and to start anti-staph penicillin because there are better killing effects and better outcomes with uh, such therapy. The other option would be, uh, because this baby was started in oxycillin, uh, I, I really want to just also mention that cefazolin is also another option to treat MSSA, but the, the, the way you, you actually decide to choose one of them is number one if if you know or, or if you are still wanting to rule out sinus involvement then we need to also remember that cefazolin does not cross the blood-brain barrier and therefore is not the best option and usually it's not what we do empirically because we initially want to rule out sinus infection so in this case the therapy is appropriate we always we always need to double check the dosing as well with the clinical pharmacist and the references that we have and I believe this dosing is is uh, appropriate if I'm if I'm correct, and then uh, the other thing to notice here and to emphasize here on is source control, which is number one thing to look for in MSSA, especially MSSA persistent MSSA bacteremia. So in this baby, the line was already removed, but this but we still need to always try to look for uh, deep seated infections. Always wanna rule out you know endovascular infection, which is also common in these babies. You also wanna look at the bones, the joints, and also the skin as well. So the other message that we usually relay to the primary team in these cases is please check the source. Try to look for a source that you could drain, that you could remove in cases of lines or catheters. And then uh, last uh, but not least, I know that this baby, the echo was already done. We could consider at this point maybe repeating the echo again just to rule out uh, infective uh, endocarditis. 
from my side, let's, uh, the good thing about this episode, we have the physician that's presented by uh, <laughs> Dr. Ravav. And uh, from the lab perspective, I can present what's, uh, the, what we can do in this case. Uh, one of the cases uh, in this scenario is sending the catheter to the lab to confirm the site of infection. Um, and unfortunately, there is, this is a gray area from hospital to hospital. When I looked at the guideline to confirm is it has to be sending the catheter to the lab to confirm the source of the infection, and it's really hard to find. I just found one um, source, which is from the U.S. Uh, CDC in 2009. That's saying yes. You have to send it um, to uh, to the lab to confirm the source of the infection. Um, this is uh, from your side, from our side as a lab. Um, we think having the the catheter, it's nice to have the complete story of uh, the the source, of course, and the surveillance report will help us as well in this case. Um, this is why we recommend sending the the catheter, but it it varies from. Uh, Physician to physician, to be honest. So I'm going to add a little bit about what has been going on with this baby. I had mentioned that the baby's starting to have hypotension. At this point, it's also noticed that there is some swelling of the right hand um, with swollen and erythematous uh, second and third fingers. The the NICU team had added gentamicin to the oxycillin that we discussed, but the baby, again, continues to have positive blood cultures, hypotension, and worsening thrombocytopenia um, on day four of antibiotics. So right now we're on oxycillin and gentamicin as a combination. Are there any other options available to us, or is there anything else that you would think about at this point with persistently positive blood cultures? Uh, so, uh, from a clinical perspective, um, uh, I think at this point, um, I, we need to just maybe comment on the addition of the gentamicin here, which is actually something that we do, uh, I would say, frequently in clinical practice, especially with persistent growth of uh, MSSA. And the idea here, and we're going to talk a little bit further about this, me and Dr. Mshari, but, uh, Dr. Mshari, but, um, um, but uh, for now, I can say that uh, its, um, it's use is mostly uh, based on some old observational data that maybe shows a b better uh, biofilm penetration, especially if there is like a, a, an infected, uh, infective endocarditis or endovascular infection. So at this point, um, again, I know that the baby already, the PICC line was already removed, but we need to uh, also be careful in these cases because he still has a peripheral uh, IV line. And we need to also remember that peripheral lines are not benign, especially in such small babies. And uh, there's still chance that maybe there's a collection at the site, so maybe we need to reassess the site of the line. And also, uh, again, as we mentioned earlier, we need to look for sources. There's a possibility, for example, that the organisms is, there is, the organism is being showered to different sites, like there are some septic emboli, especially with the involvement of the two digits. So again, we need to re-emphasize on repeating the echo, looking for deep-seated infection, especially at the joints and the bones. Uh, and, um, you know, always uh, continuously reassessing uh, the baby. And we'll talk further later on about other options uh, of therapy. I think Dr. Mshari uh, will talk uh, a little bit about the biofilm. Well, let me step back and define biofilm. Um, 
Staff Oris is very known for spy films, and uh, it's basically with catheter as an example in here. Uh, it, when it attaches to the Python, started hearing, then it starts producing a self-matrix. That self-matrix mostly contains of uh, polysaccharides and proteins. Uh, and this is because the bacteria want to make um, uh, an inhibition for the antibiotics or other external factors to be attached to the cell surface of the bacteria to be disrupted. Okay, so it's and again a self defense for the bacteria. And one of the studies we done uh, in Canada, basically we got a catheter we implemented in a mice, and we compared that catheter with a, a, a real catheter that's in in the lab, and. After four days, we looked at the catheter components in that case for the biophone, okay? And we noticed that in the lab, it has more polysaccharides, more sugar. But the catheter that was in the mice, it was more protein. So that even the component of the biophone is different. And that can tell you more about if you treat in the lab with antibiotics, that, that specific uh, organisms, you will see difference in the susceptibility in that case. And when the physicians start treating, uh, sometimes they didn't see um, the effect in that case based on the reports coming from the lab. This is when they, they have to increase the dose or start combination or change the, the antibiotic itself. So basically, we know that from the lab is, is a biofilm component and vivo is different than the uh, biofilm component in, in vitro. Um, are there any other agents that sometimes people will combine with oxycillin instead of gentamicin? Uh, there is rifampin is also commonly used, and um, I'm sure maybe the ID doctors here uh, know of this uh, combination. And again, the idea behind it is, is similar to the gentamicin, is basically the better biofilm uh, penetration. But as far as um, I know, it's actually based on old and observational data. Um, I would say that based on uh, experience and also working with more experts, ID doctors, it is actually, you know, the next step in treating uh, persistently uh, positive uh, MSSA uh, infections. Um, and one interesting salvage regimen that we've used success where I was training uh, was actually doing the combination of cefazolin and ertapenem. Can you tell listeners about this combination? Have you heard of it? Have ever used it before? Um, yes, actually, we've heard of this combination, um, and uh, I've, we've heard of the success of this combination as well. And there are some papers about uh, which uh, which report uh, success uh, successful outcomes. I will maybe address a little bit uh, uh, a little bit of the clinical component, and Dr. Um, Shari will will address uh, some of the more microbiologic uh, um, component of this uh, combination. So regarding the ertapenem and cefazolam. Uh, um, uh, review actually uh, they found uh, a case control there was a case control study that looked at uh, the the combination of uh, cefazolin or tapenem versus the standard of care and they found uh, more rapid clearance of uh, MSSA bacteremia in this combination compared to the standard of care but I just want to emphasize that this is actually considered a salvage uh, therapy and uh, mostly it was done in adult population not in pediatric 
population. And um, the idea behind this, I'll just maybe address a small part of it, and Dr. Mshari will, will talk more about this, is actually um, maybe more of synergistic, um, you know, uh, benefit. And the other, the other component is um, the, the different uh, binding, penicillin binding the sites where both uh, beta lactams work on different sites and maybe have, uh, maybe ha show uh, better uh, cell lysis and uh, cell uh, or uh, bacterial lysis and bacterial death. And uh, Dr. Mshari will uh, that. When we say the combination of antibiotically, let me step back and define synergistic a little bit to understand it better. So when we say synergistic, basically if we have a component A and B, and of course, both of them working together it will have uh, advant more advantage than individually. Okay, uh, that's basically the definition. And we know that the artepinem is very known for antibiotics, and it basically disrupts the antibiotics, the biofilms, and the civilizing or uh, the other antibiotics. As an example, they can reach to the cell surface of the bacteria. Working together, both of them, they have better and have shown also at several studies they have better synergistic effects than working individually in that case. Uh, so um, as we know that um, uh, as long as that you get rid of biofilms in that case, you have a better chance of uh, solving the issue. I will add just one more thing. Now, as also they are uh, working on uh, bacteriophages, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that bacteriophages is very well known to disrupt the biofilms. And it works very well now, basically, in, in, in research, not that hasn't been uh, treated yet, but we know research is doing very well. And now we're trying, they're trying to add the bacteriophages with antibiotics. So one working to disrupt the biofilm, the other one working to disrupt the bacteria uh, itself. Yeah. Um, and I think another concept that's important when we're thinking about MSSA is inoculum effect. You sort of started mentioning that when we think about anti-staph penicillins for cefazin, but can we talk about that? What is inoculum effect? What does it mean? What does it imply for our patients that we're taking care of? Well, from the lab side, we don't say inoculum effect. We maybe we say a, a fast growing bacteria, slow uh, slow uh, growing bacteria. So when we look at the shot, we look at it from the left side, and physicians look at it from the left, uh, the right side. So the growth of bacteria is like this, like an S shape. So we say fast growing. That means it's really fast growing as a big S. And uh, small growing, it will be like small. Um, from your side, it will be like small inoculum and. Uh, you know, the uh, high inoculum will be the big S. Um, so from our side, we say fast-growing bacteria. And when we do mostly with the AST, we give you the, the result after eight hours or sometimes 10 hours. So we can tell you that in the middle, what is the concentration that can be done to treat that patient during that time. From your side, it's still the patient has been here for like for two days or three days. So the inoculum could be higher than that. This is why you pay the physicians sometimes they're thinking about using higher concentrations. If it's not working, maybe combination in that case as well. Because you're seeing the last at the end of the graph, why we see it in the middle. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mshari. Uh, from a clinical perspective, so um, actually we use the term inoculum effect uh, specifically when we're talking about uh, MSSA. And there, I, I know that there has been even debates about whether cefazolin is better or cloxacillin is better. And I think, um, I don't know, I think my personal understanding and also from working with some of the experts of the field, there's always, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, some, some sort of an agreement that cloxacillin 
penicillin works better on high inoculum uh, um, infection, infections with high inoculum bacteria. So basically, just to add a little bit more uh, of clinical perspective, when we talk about high inoculum, it's basically we're talking about infections where we think that the uh, bacteria, uh, bacterial colonies are very high. And in these cases, there is some evidence that suggests that uh, cefazolin maybe would not be as good as cloxacillin. Uh, and there are maybe clinical fa failures of, and higher uh, mortality rates with uh, using cefazolin in these uh, situations. Like, for example, one uh, published paper by Miller et al., where they compared the cefazolin, that, that, where they compared patients with cefazolin uh, inoculum effect and uh, other uh, isolates, MSSA isolates, without the cefazolin inoculum effect. And they found that uh, there is higher 30-day mortality in the in these in the in the cases where they had higher uh, cefazolin inoculum effect, and also uh, they found that they're most likely have uh, in, in the in the multi-regression analysis they found that they mostly had also secondary types of uh, uh, bacteremia compared to primary sources of bacteremia of MSSA, and this also supports the theory that you know you always need to look for a source because also having a source means that you might be also failing the therapy. Uh, uh, so also this supports uh, this uh, theory as well. Well, fortunately, our patient has a response. We decided to trial the combination of cefazolin and ertapenem. They cleared their blood cultures on this regimen, but after about a full week of persistently positive MSSA cultures. So this baby completed two weeks of combination therapy, but ultimately was narrowed to monotherapy with cefazolin alone um, to complete somewhere in the window of four to six weeks of total therapy. Of course, it is hard to attribute the clearance to ertapenem alone. Um, like you said, it is a salvage uh, new therapy, but it, it does seem like this is a promising option for us with persistent MSSA. Um, there have been some interesting papers trying to understand why this combination might work. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about that and or, you know, why do we sometimes use dual beta-lactam combination therapy for uh, other infections? Well, uh the study I looked at basically um, they uh, they know that the, as I said that they have both uh, especially the the ertapenem has uh, an effect in the pythons and this is one of the cases. Another uh, case they they looked at the combination where they really um, stimulate the immune system, uh, especially the monocytes, to release the interleukin one, and that also has helped uh, in uh, in, uh, in the treatment with the patients as well. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, beside the combination to, to get rid of the biofilms and the bacteria, it has been shown to um, uh, stimulate the immune system as well. And uh, and also, uh, thank you, Dr. Mshari. And also, there is another theory as well, which uh, maybe we mentioned briefly before, that uh, similar to different to other infections that are treated with dual uh, beta lactams, like for example, enterococcus infective endocarditis. Uh, the idea is very similar to that: is basically having two different beta lactams working on different substrates of penicillin binding proteins. So, um, and at the end, at the end result, you will have you know, better outcome, better killing of the bacteria. So this theory was also raised in this literature of the dual cefazolin and ertapenem uh, therapy. Uh, and also the other one was uh, maybe also a synergistic uh, mechanism as well. 
Um, and um, I think, um, lastly, as Dr. Mshari mentioned, the, the better maybe effect on biofilm, uh, on, on penetration of the biofilm. Yeah. Um, so a very interesting case, but uh, to close us out, are there any additional pearls or thoughts you want to make sure that we let the listeners know? Thank you. Uh, so I think um, as ID physicians, we always, uh, in cases of uh, methicillin-sensitive staph aureus, and also in cases of MRSA as well, we always emphasize on source control. It is the number one thing you need to keep in mind. And I know um, I know we, um, I think maybe non-specialists sometimes under uh, underplay the, the really importance of removing uh, the line as soon as possible. And we have a lot of literature that supports that keeping the source end could uh, could uh, lead to higher uh, morbidity and higher mortality. So this is the first message we want to relay today. Please make sure to uh, do proper uh, source control. Look for dissemination uh, of the infection. And the other the other thing also is um, uh, for MSSA, especially in children. Uh, try to always uh, choose the appropriate therapy. Usually we, we start with anti-staph penicillins and, or, uh, sorry, or, uh, cefazolin. And you can decide between the two based on the clinical picture. For example, always keep in mind that with higher inoculum effect, as we mentioned, maybe you would want to go with the, um, with the anti-staph penicillin rather than the, uh, cefazolin. And the other thing, think about the, uh, site of infection. For example, sinus infection, you need to, to uh, start uh, something like uh, cloxicillin? Uh, from my side, um, basically, uh, staph aureus or staph epidermis, staph cavities, all these very known for biofilm formation. Uh, some strains very known as a strong biofilm formation. And this is uh, strains, it's, uh, they have a hard time to treat, uh, especially as we saw with this case. Uh, so this is uh, when you have um, isolate with these uh, these uh, staph aureus mostly uh, consider the biofilm formation in your mind and consider this is, could be one of the cases. Thank you to Drs. Rabab and Mashari for joining this episode and for all our guests over this series. Don't forget to check out the website febrilepodcast.com where you'll find the consult notes which are written compliments to the show, our library of ID infographics, and a link to our merch store. Please reach out if you have any suggestions for future shows or want to be more involved with Febrile. We'll be back next week for our season finale. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.